0: Welcome back to Streamageddon, the TV and streaming podcast that is always thankful for you, dear listener. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined across the internet uh, by the gravy to my mashed potatoes, the stuffing to my turkey, the bob to my bob, Diane Nora. How you doing, Diane? I'm
1: doing well. I'm doing better than some bobs we may know.
0: You're doing better than some bobs, but not as good as some other bobs. That's just the state of the bob. And we're going to talk about all those bobs on uh, this very uh, special Thanksgiving week extravaganza it's suddenly turned into. Uh, We are going to review a show later this episode. We're going to talk about the first two episodes of Fleischmann is in Trouble, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Claire Danes, Lizzie Kaplan, and uh, Seth Cohen himself, Adam Brody on Hulu. I am enjoying that and cannot wait to talk about it. But we have so many other things to talk about first, Diane. The the news is breaking constantly as we are recording, but we have a few big stories to talk about, uh, and I think we just have to get right to it, but I have a surprise uh, for you. (laughs) Yes, we're going to play an emergency holiday round of Renewed or Cancelled, America's favorite game show, where Diane has to guess if a show, or perhaps a person, is Renewed or Cancelled. You can play along at home, listener, just shout out the answer, Renewed or Cancelled, wherever you are, in the car, on the street, in a library, shout it out. All right, Diane, we're going to move fast through this one, because we do have a few good updates in here, too. Are you ready?
1: I'll do my best.
0: Uh, as you always do. Okay. Question number one Monster on Netflix, AKA Dahmer on Netflix. Has it been renewed or canceled? Renewed. That is correct, Diane. Monster a is a hit. It's now an anthology series, and it's been renewed for two more seasons on Netflix. Uh, speaking of anthology series, The White Lotus. Renewed or cancelled?
1: The White Lotus was renewed for season three.
0: That is correct. HBO dropped the news. The White Lotus is coming back. Not a surprise, but they were waiting to ride, I think, the enthusiasm wave. I'm delighted. Me too. But that brings us to something that may not be such a delight for some people. Westworld. Cancelled. That is correct. The... The... People at Warner Brothers Discovery know no bounds. Although, word is this was an HBO decision, not a David Zaslov original edit, let's say, uh, to the HBO lineup. Westworld was hoping to wrap things up with a fifth season that would theoretically make all the four other seasons make perfect sense. And we'll never know.
1: I guess we'll just have to be confused by Westworld and its appeal.
0: Forever and ever and ever. What a shame. But you know what else is a shame? The News, but specifically a show called The News with Shepard Smith, renewed or canceled.
1: Shepard Smith, I'm going to guess that that was canceled.
0: That is correct. Shepard Smith, originally of Fox News, was part of this Mm -hmm. exodus to CNBC in this case. And CNBC was trying to pivot to serious, unbiased news in the evening. And uh, that's not what people want from CNBC. They want stocks, stocks and bonds. And so uh, CNBC has canceled the news with Shepard Smith and will replace it with stocks and bonds on CNBC. That's great. Yeah, and that's not the only drama in cable news, but we don't have time for that this week because we have our final question of this round of Renewed or Cancelled. Bob Chapek. Renewed or Cancelled. Disney CEO, Bob Chapek.
1: Chapek is out.
0: (laughs) Cancelled and not in the cultural sense. If he was cancelled in the cultural sense, he would be hosting Saturday Night Live next week. Hold for Mm -hmm. laughter. But no, that's our big story this week. And, uh... I have to say, we need to get right to it, because there is so much to discuss with this breaking news. Special music. I know. I know. Because this breaking news, the more we learn about it, the more it is a pure succession boardroom drama situation. Bob Chapek has been ousted by former Disney CEO Bob Iger, the Battle of the Bobs, or as we like to call it here on Streamageddon, what's that, Bob? And What's That Bob? is our ongoing segment where we analyze whichever Bob is in charge of Disney at any given time. And what's going on with them? What are they saying? Or in this case, who are they firing? Which Bob is Bob today?
1: Oh, my goodness. So this broke last night. <laughs> Chris and I were discussing it with a series of what? What's happening? Which I think was the general mood. uh, Twitter, which, the media. which
0: still exists as of the time of this recording, was on fire. T- media Twitter had no idea this was coming, and and it was a shocker, especially because Bob Chapek, who has been CEO of Disney since uh, beginning of 2020, he's he's essentially been the pandemic CEO. Uh, he resigned as CEO this summer. They offered him a two year contract extension, and word is, according to a, a juicy scoop from the Hollywood Reporter, that uh, Chapek, who has had many many uh enemies made in his tenure so far uh Botched his performance, let's say, on the last earnings call, which wasn't great news for Disney financially. They, the Disney Plus is growing, but they are making less money on each Disney Plus subscriber right now, and the mm. uh, Wall Street didn't like that, and they didn't like his handling of that news. Most importantly, and so the board uh, turned around, and according to Kim Masters at the Wall Street at the the Hollywood Reporter, in the last week basically decided to replace him and bring back Bob Iger. Bob Iger, who has been executive chairman of Disney this whole time, his stint as executive chairman was supposed to end at the end of the year, finally moving him into full-time retirement. But no, no, he's coming back for a special two-year limited engagement. They're bringing Bob Iger out of the Disney vault for a limited time only.
1: Yeah, um, Matt Bellany at Pucketta scooped that it was um, Susan Arnold at the board, at the Disney board, who orchestrated all of this in the past few days. But it does seem like it happened really, really quickly. And it was... Um,
0: that is what we're hearing, is that this was essentially a, a last-minute decision.
1: But at the same time, we do know that Iger has been... Uh, saying some not such kind things about Chapec's performance behind closed doors for the past few months, according to reporting as well. So, you know, at, at, while this was a big shock, at the same time, it kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah. And, and Stocks like I were said, down. Chapek has not been making a lot of friends. The irony to this is Bob Iger handpicked Bob Chapek for the job. So Bob Iger has been going around badmouthing the person he personally selected to replace him. Uh, but, but at the same time, a, a lot of people seem unhappy with Bob Chapek's performance internally and externally. A big sticking point uh, for Disney employees have been Bob Chapek's reorg of the company, essentially separating the creative division and the distribution division. And notably, Bob Iger, in one of his farewell speeches basically said we should always let creative lead the company that's what makes disney disney if we didn't let creative lead if we let data and like numbers lead we wouldn't have made and then he listed like black panther and all these other movies that you really love Coco. Yep, yep and that was a a not so subtle dig at the idea of letting kind of a netflix style data-driven approach decide the creative decisions at disney
1: well, and speaking of reorgs, one of the things that Chapek had recently announced is that there would be m- multiple layoffs coming. And now that is uncertain. Well, well, now so,
0: everything that Bob Chapek did, essentially, is called into question. Uh, Alex Sherman from CNBC, uh, who was tweeting this live as it was breaking, made this exact point that it's such a dramatic firing and such a repudiation of Chapixs leadership as, uh, as CEO that every major decision from the reorg to per- potentially the pricing on Disney plus uh, all of that could be up in the air now
1: I'm really curious what this will mean for our beloved Hulu right it seems like a big part of the strategy was going to be that Hulu would be somehow absorbed into Disney plus that within Disney Plus or whatever mega streaming option you had from Disney, there would be a little Hulu tile for your Hulu content, possibly. And now that they could remain separate, potentially.
0: There's so many questions there. One of the major things is Bob Iger essentially launched Disney Plus as his you know, next chapter for the company, and handed it off to Chapek. And so, I think some people are looking to Bob Iger to say, "Okay, we think Chapek wasn't leading your streaming strategy in the right direction." And in general, the mood on on Wall Street, but also kind of the mood in the the Hollywood side of things as well, has soured towards streaming a little bit. The cash cow, so to speak, has uh, started producing sour milk. Uh, so. There's a lot of pressure, I think, also on Biobot Iger to come in and clarify what is the streaming vision for Disney and the overall, you know, Disney streaming empire, which isn't just Hulu, it's also ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. And you know they've been pushing that bundle of Disney plus Hulu, and ESPN plus very hard, but at the same time, the number of people signing up for the bundle was one of the factors that contributed to a decline in average revenue per user. So the more people who are taking advantage of the bundle, the less money Disney is making per customer. How are they gonna you know square that circle
1: right. Uh, Still unclear and also unclear what the future will be for ESPN OTT, you know, the the classic cable service. Uh, It seems that the cost of sports streaming is going up and up and up and ESPN is going to have to contend with that.
0: Yeah. And, there, you know, a lot of people say, why not just have ESPN over the top available? Because if you're not familiar, ESPN Plus is not ESPN. It is it is the what was CNN Plus. You know, if you remember, the model of CNN Plus was everything except CNN itself. It's just the plus. ESPN Plus is the same thing. You don't actually get ESPN. You just get the Plus. And a lot of people say they would pay tons of money to get ESPN by itself. The problem is uh, Disney makes a huge amount of money from the cable companies because ESPN is one of the major reasons people buy cable anymore. And so they can't uh, switch to an over-the-top model unless they can make more money than they are making from their cable partners. And that's a huge hill to climb. But at the same time... I don't know, there are many, many options for expensive year-long or season-long sports streaming packages popping up, and there seems to be a pretty high tolerance for pricing on sports, uh, I think in part because people look at it as the cost of the season instead of a monthly ongoing cost even though in theory you're just going to keep renewing it unless you suddenly decide you hate sports uh, but but I do think people digest it a, b- a bit more when they think yeah sure it's a hundred dollars a year but that's for the whole season I love sports
1: yeah and I think people also engage with sports in so many ways in terms of uh, fantasy too you know really um making people feel that they have to not just watch their team but every single game so that's obviously incredibly valuable ip
0: yeah and that's not even the top of bob Iger's to-do list as he comes in (laughs) that's just looming in the background uh, on the whole industry but especially on disney because espn is sort of a crown jewel of sports broadcasting uh and i you know i think D- disney has gotten so large you know absorbing 20th century fox espn abc freeform fx you forget like it's a large empire of disney owned uh subsidiaries at this point and as they pivot to streaming it's this weird constellation of stuff that they're still trying to figure out and you know warner brothers discovery and hbo max has a similar problem but they have already announced their solution which is essentially we're going to jam it all together into one thing like it or not and we're going to cut a bunch of stuff to make it financially viable in theory and you know disney has hinted at that but at the same time, you know, who who most recently hinted at that? Bob Chapek. And who knows what that means now?
1: Right. One take I've seen a bit online that I just want to say I think has no merit whatsoever is this sort of MAGA right take that is uh, go woke, go broke. And that the reason that Chapek uh, has stopped making money at Disney is, you know, according to these movies. folks that... Yeah, that that there's just, you know, um, too much progressive content in uh, Disney films. That doesn't really add up to the history, the recent history we've seen. I think one of the big Chapek fumbles was um, delaying his response to the controversy around Don't Say Gay. And when Iger publicly made a statement before Chapek would, that really did not sit well with the creative community as well as with lots of disney uh fans so uh i i just don't see any merit to that take that's the one that was floating around that i was like i'm gonna call nonsense on this
0: oh absolutely that is you know looking for evidence to fit your pre uh determined conclusion because in reality Iger is much more woke than chapek ever was uh, and and Iger is weirdly beloved across many different communities. I just want to share a tweet from uh, Netflix co-CEO Reed Hastings mm-hmm. announced that he was, you know, kind of disappointed at this news because he was hoping Bob Iger would run for president, which is the ramblings of a deranged man. That's like the people who want the CEO of Starbucks to run for president. I'm like, Howard Schultz is my president. I, I don't I don't want the country to run like a Starbucks
1: it's a no from me, Bob. But. No,
0: no, thanks, Bob. But, you know, that is that is how much power, cultural cachet Bob Iger has. He is looked up to amongst the most successful CEOs in tech and media.
1: And I think that he really is so associated with the Disney brand that that will be good for the company as a whole, too. Just this, you know, warm, fuzzy, family-friendly Disney thing is sort of... Uh, he's the center of it.
0: Yeah, he's kind of embracing the the a little bit of the cult of personality around him. Uh, it reminds me as a Nintendo fan of Reggie Fiume, who was the U- North American head of Nintendo and became kind of associated with the brand for a long time to a point where fans really loved Reggie specifically. And he eventually moved on. But th- there was something about if, if Nintendo of America was ever in dire straits, you know, the fans would be clamoring to bring back Reggie in the same way that I feel like the diehard fans of Disney, the board of Disney, uh, was clamoring to bring back their favorite. Man, Bob Iger. Their favorite Bob, mm-hmm. the top Bob, Bob number one. The old Bob is new again. New Bob is old news. You can, the, the headlines write themselves, Diane.
1: It's uh, the changing of the Bobs.
0: Yes, I did. I did really enjoy the uh, who somebody very funny tweeted that I love how the Bobs change at this time of year. Um,
1: (laughs) Josh uh, Gondelman. Thank
0: you. Josh Gondelman. Love him. Uh, Yeah, you know, it's just a great time for a a handoff from Bob to Bob, back to Bob again. And that's the part that's a little alarming in the long run, maybe. I think Axios summed this up really well, which, you know, is the, the Axios thing to do. So I'll just read what Axios says is the bottom line, quote, Iger had 15 years as CEO to groom the right successor. Now that the company's stock is languishing, Disney's board will give him another shot. Which also kind of sounds like the pitch for a fun Disney Plus limited series.
1: Yeah, it's a a very uh, family-friendly version of Succession.
0: Yeah, starring like Ryan Reynolds as that put-upon CEO who just wanted to retire, but he messed up his succession planning, so he's back to give it another shot for his beloved company,
1: it's great it's really successful branding if you can like cold-heartedly fire your the person you chose as your mentee overnight with very little warning uh in an extremely public way and come across still looking like the the nice guy
0: right wow That, that is a skill and truly this was both done entirely in secret And at the same time, they removed Chapek from the executive leadership page on the website within like 20 minutes of the news.
1: I love that uh, Dana Walden was at either the AMAs or maybe was watching the Elton John farewell concert and had to abruptly leave.
0: (laughs) They all got a Slack message that was like, everybody out, get away from the reporters, get away from anyone who will ask you any questions, go check your email.
1: Oh, I don't envy that position at all.
0: Nope. Somebody was enjoying the Elton John farewell concert and had it ruined by Bob Iger. And just because they're an executive at the Walt Disney Corporation, it's a tough life.
1: Yeah, gonna have to uh, blame Bob Chapek for that too.
0: Yeah, it is. It is Bob Chapek's fault. To be clear, definitely Bob Chapek's fault. All right, that's everything we know right now about the the succession-level drama at Disney. And, of course, we'll be following the moves of Bob Iger as he steps in uh, and see what changes he undoes and what new changes he perhaps uh, proposes. You know, what we do here. But we do have some Disney-adjacent news we wanted to touch on, and that comes in the form of a show we're both enjoying— Andor it is almost wrapped its first season on Disney Plus and uh Disney somebody there wants to give it a little love and they are uh trying it out on their linear channels by which we mean ABC freeform Hulu Also, FX, thank you. All the things that Disney owns. It's a really long list now. Um, They're all going to just have the first two episodes of Andor available over Thanksgiving weekend or playing uh, live in some dead time slot that no one's watching over Thanksgiving weekend. Um, This is an interesting uh, move to try to get people to check out Andor who might not have Disney Plus or who might have Disney Plus but aren't going to choose to watch it there. But if they stumble upon it live, it might... Um, entertain them, and then they might watch the whole thing. I I think Andor is a weird show to do that with, because the first two episodes are two of three parts of the first three-parter, but maybe that's the idea. Get you hooked. You want to see part three. Interesting choice. I
1: I really like this show. I'm not sure about this strategy, partially because for me, Andor is like a sit-down and pay-attention show, and you can't really do that if it's like Thanksgiving weekend and your aunt's passing you potatoes. You know what I mean? It's, It's not like the football game that you can sort of passively watch, which maybe says a lot about how I consume things, but um, it's more of a pay attention type show. And also while I liked the beginning, it is a bit of a slow burn and I think it really picks up around episodes five and six. So yeah. uh, I think
0: episode three is when it really clicked in for me. And so mm -hmm. I, I think like if they were doing this would have been my choice to do the first three episodes, because they launch the series. And episode three is the first one that's got a lot of really exciting action and really leads you up to what you're going to get in the rest of the show. So just the first two feels like you're you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I, 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 uh, of the placements, I agree. Like, ABC, Freeform, kind of odd choices for it to me, where you wouldn't really want it as background material fx makes some sense because tonally it feels a lot more like like an fx show and hulu is interesting to me because you know with those two apps essentially disney plus and hulu being so close to merging but will they won't they is gonna you know kind of be the name of the game for a while why not toss it into hulu to say hey if you're looking for something to binge right now over the holiday weekend you can check out the first two episodes of andor and if you have disney plus the rest is there and if you don't great little sales pitch for disney plus sure
1: yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me on Hulu, too, because it is slightly more adult content. And um, that so that fits more with a Hulu brand than like a traditional Disney Plus show.
0: Oh, the Hulu brand. I hope we can continue using that phrase in the future. Me too. But, you know, that is not the only interesting uh, merging of linear and streaming television in the news this week. We have uh, one more story I want to touch on uh, about... Our friends at NBC Universal Peacock, a Comcast company. Uh, you know, uh, Peacock, which we love to talk about Peacock. We, we do Peacock Peacock here on the show. Uh, they've been looking for more ways to really kind of just turn into NBC, the streaming app, which is probably what they should have been aiming to do in the first place. But, you know, they're getting there. And here's a new way they have aimed to be NBC, the streaming app. If you pay for enough Peacock... You just get NBC, your local affiliate, live, the just the feed you would get on television. So you can watch the local news or SVU live on NBC the way God intended. Uh, but as I said, you do have to have the correct Peacock plan, which would be Peacock Premium Plus. So you have to be a Premium Plus subscriber, which you would think was the ad-free tier of Peacock, because it is the ad-free tier of Peacock, unless you're watching your local NBC affiliate live in which case you're just watching TV and there will be ads. So I just love that they figured out that they could make you pay for no ads and then add a new feature that includes ads in that plan.
1: It is a little bit crazy that that's the idea, but I think that this is going to be great news for a lot of cord cutters.
0: Yeah, and it's something that you can already do with your local CBS affiliate in Paramount+. Plus. Uh, mm-hmm. ABC is sort of the holdout, as far as I can tell. Maybe because if you want local ABC affiliates, Disney would happily sell you the Hulu with live TV service that includes all the live TV channels that, well, you know, that you can get over the top, uh, which is not all of them, but is enough, especially if you're doing it with Hulu, because then you get the sports channels, because it's Disney. And so I wonder if uh, Disney is holding out on offering like a local affiliate just of ABC through maybe Hulu or Disney Plus, because that would just cannibalize some of the sales pitch for Hulu with live TV.
1: Right. That makes a lot of sense to me, too.
0: But I like the idea of, you know, if you're just a Big Dick Wolf fan, great, get Peacock Premium Plus. You can watch all those shows on demand. You can watch them live the night they air. I uh, do not get Peacock Premium Plus. I just have Peacock Premium, so I will be unable to watch my local NBC affiliate. Uh, I do think there's some confusion that this creates automatically, because you can also watch some NBC shows essentially live on Peacock Premium, not Plus Plus. Right? Like Saturday Night Mm. Live streams on Peacock Live. That's not the same thing as watching it on Peacock Premium Plus through your local NBC affiliate. You would actually get served different ads, right? One, you'd get the streaming ads. The other, you'd get the local NBC affiliate ads.
1: I mean, as a viewer, it's probably a fairly similar experience. But in terms of monetizing those products, (laughs) it will not be.
0: Well, in terms of messaging, I just think, how am I going to explain that to my parents?
1: I mean, it's ads either way.
0: Right, but what's the difference, and why do you choose one, and where do I go in Peacock to watch that?
1: Oof, yeah, I don't know. Explain it to me after your parents.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. And you know, that brings us to the thing I want to explain most of all this week— A bit of listener mail. Surprise, we have some listener mail. I forgot to make a listener mail sound effect. I haven't had the time. Or maybe we had one, and it's just been so long since we opened up the mailbag. So here's a little rustling. As we rustle through the mailbag. And we pull out, yes a piece of listener mail this comes from our good friend buterson uh, who has written in before and this week buterson asks us with all the price hikes going on and the impending password crackdowns at netflix and other services how much would be too much for you guys to drop your most essential streaming service so it doesn't matter what the service is though i think that would play a factor in my decision making but what is the price threshold where you go i don't think this is worth it anymore
1: so, for me, as these services start approaching the $20 mark, that to me seems really unreasonable. Uh, it's it just, I don't know why that number has occurred to me. It's not based on any budget or spreadsheet. It's just like, really, $20 for Netflix? I can't do that.
0: I, 20 was my gut reaction, too. And then I, I did the math you're supposed to do, which is, you know, times it times 12. How much is that a year? And 240 a year feels like a lot when I say it out loud. And I, and I think there are subscription services that I pay that much for, absolutely. I ride city bike, that easily costs me over 240 a year. Uh, but that's essential to me. Is Netflix as essential as that service? You begin to compare it to other things. And I think that is like the mental threshold of like 20 bucks a month. And then you're like, that's over $200 a year. That's a lot of money.
1: Yeah, it is. That is just a lot of money. And I think that it also will make me think more actively about how much I'm using these services, because for something like Netflix, I don't tune in every day, even though I like a lot of their content very much. I probably use Hulu and HBO Max more. So, right, and if
0: I could add up two other services to equal, let's say, this $20 price of the streaming service I might cancel, then I would do that math, too. And I would say, yeah, I can have two of this. For the price of one of that if you compare to netflix right now if i had to ditch one out of the blue netflix would be high on the list at at that twenty dollar price if you're paying for the 4k premium premium netflix the other option that netflix would love you to take advantage of is of course basic with ads and you could always downgrade to a cheaper plan but in general i think the question is real like as the prices go up where do you suddenly start to stop and question that charge on your credit card
1: I'm very curious about BASIC with ads, so I might end up trying it just out of seeing what that is like.
0: Right. I, it's it's a curious uh, product. I'm interested, but I also don't want to watch the ads voluntarily right now. Uh, but you let me know. Diane, you can make that your special research assignment, if you so choose. <laughs> okay. We always love these questions, and we have more questions to share in next week's listener mailbag. Uh, But right now, we have to get to our main event, which is uh, surprisingly not about a man named Bob, but about a man named Toby, Dr. Toby Fleischman, the star of FX's On Hulu's Fleischman Is In Trouble. It's this week's review. Yes, this week we are reviewing a uh, new—I think it's a limited series. Boy, I'm already not sure what show I'm talking about. We're we're, we're talking about Fleischman is in Trouble. It is a new series on Hulu from FX, and uh, it is adapted from a novel, which is why I immediately just assumed, oh, it's a limited series, because this was a novel by Taffy Brodesser-Ackner— I think that's how I pronounce it. And I apologize if I did not get that right. But the the novel came out in uh, 2019 and was a hit. And uh, what I'm really excited about is she's the one who's uh, adapting it to the screen. And that can be a dicey proposal in some situations. So I was really intrigued to check out this show to see, well, how does this novelist do? Is it just going to feel like, uh, you know, a book being read to you on screen, which is the fear in some of those situations? But uh, out the gate, I'm going to say I'm loving it.
1: I agree yeah I'm really enjoying it and also wow what a talent uh Taffy while she was writing this as a novel wrote for the New York Times and did a lot of like celebrity profiles and you can hear a lot of that tone in the narration um I'm gonna be honest and say I haven't read the novel though it's been on my list for a while um so I'm just coming in fresh to the tv show um but wow she can write in basically any media uh how dare you
0: really impressive? I have to say I was aware of the novel before the series, and the just the log line of the plot didn't hook me and now now that I've had you know. You know, it's a lower bar of entry to check out one or two episodes of an adaptation on tv and so now that i've seen that if i like how the season goes i'm absolutely going to pick up the novel it's a great it's a great marketing exercise in some ways to say you know this plot which is about a 40 41 year old uh liver doctor on the upper east side of new york dealing with his you know sort of spoiled children and his uh wife who goes missing spoiler alert that's the plot of the the show but you made it this far so spoiler alert for the first two episodes um Uh, Okay, I heard that plot, and he's having like a sexual awakening on the dating apps. I heard that plot about the book, and I thought, sounds not boring, sounds interesting, doesn't sound like a plot that I'm super excited about. Uh, And now seeing the tone of it uh, play out in the show, and with the the really smart and funny narration that holds it together, I I absolutely want to check out the book. I I, I now get why it's so successful, why people like it. It's one of those things where sometimes you need a a lighter uh, way to check something out even though yeah. libraries exist and that's a really light way to check things out don't judge me
1: no judgment here there's not enough time to consume all the content we want uh and i'm guessing if anyone's listening to this they also watch television so you're you're safe chris
0: thank you thank but, you oh, i knew this is this podcast is my safe place i just i was afraid but what i'm not afraid of is loving this show there i said it
1: i love it too
0: the the plot is actually a really interesting mystery that I didn't quite pick up on right away. Uh, Toby's uh, ex-wife, they, they just got divorced, she goes missing. Mm. Essentially. Does she? Is she missing? What do you think, Diane?
1: I'm not sure. Um, a really interesting performance by Claire Danes here. Uh, she gives, I think, all of her characters a certain um, edginess that is both compelling to watch and also kind of repulsive. She's just really fascinating as an actor um, and I think a great choice for this. I think a lot of what is working for me about the show so far is it's like elements of social satire. There is uh, an accuracy to the detail in which they show a certain type of upper class New York life that is both um, hypercritical of itself and also uh, really uh, lacking self-knowledge. It's just it's just a a very accurate portrayal of that slice of life I felt in a way that was sometimes I was watching it and I was like oh my god I can't watch but I couldn't stop watching
0: yeah and it really leans into that specificity of both the neighborhood the uh, kind of people that he interacts with the social strata his family is in and the time period it's set very very pointedly in 2016, uh, in the, the run-up to the 2016 election. That's just happening in the background, but that that uh, colors the tone of some of these conversations with these Upper East Side moms and dads, basically, of, of varying degrees of extreme wealth.
1: Extreme wealth.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. And Toby is, you know, he, he says he makes, like, six figures over $300,000 a year. He makes good money as a liver specialist at a major hospital, but that is not good money on the Upper East Side in these social circles. And one of the tensions that's playing out in the flashbacks to his life with his uh, wife, played by Clark Danes, is that she wants a m- more lavish lifestyle. She is a high-powered theater agent who wants to live in, in a certain social strata that he's not comfortable in and doesn't really desire to be part of.
1: Yeah, it seems like she's discovered basically the next, to like, Lynn manuel
0: Yeah, uh, I, I do like something about a female president or the wife of a president. It's called, like, yeah. El Presidentrix. Yeah. <laughs> and all we know is it's become a sensation, and so Toby is constantly confronted with reminders of of her.
1: Uh, though not for lack of many other women... <laughs>
0: Throwing themselves at him.
1: Yeah, um, the the portrayals of the app life were interesting. Um, it seemed very heightened, definitely different from my experience on dating apps. But I'm, you know, not a, not a doctor.
0: Right. It, it, there again, there's something about the specificity of like, yeah, dating apps and dating on TV shows, whatever. But this is about like a 40 year old professional. A group of people who you don't really associate with, you know, uh, hookup app culture. And and so whether or not there's that much truth to the volume of action he's getting, there is something that, that's refreshing and intriguing and funny and interesting about the idea and how they let it play out. Especially because he's someone who, uh, you know, they explain, wasn't like a stud growing up, wasn't super popular with the ladies, then got married in his early 20s and has been with this one woman since then. And so he's having a sexual awakening in his early middle age.
1: An interesting concept. I I don't think we've seen much of that on TV in this tone. I think the fact that there is we're getting a lot of toby's point of view but at the same time we have this narration that's done by um, His old friend who he's sort of reunited with in his divorce um, voiced by Lizzie Kaplan whom oh my gosh love her and uh, and also played by her because she is in some of the scenes as well Um, and I think and hope we'll get more of her scenes going forward because uh, Just give me more Lizzie Kaplan always But it gives this, it gives the work a tongue in cheek sort of understanding of everything that he's going for with, uh, it's not quite critical, but it's moving in that direction. And I wonder how overtly feminist this is going to become. I'm curious.
0: It, it, the framing device adds a self-awareness that the show really needs uh, in order to make you have fun watching him go on his kind of sexual conquests and deal with his perspective because he is a flawed main character. We the Part of the framing device is that we need to know that. It, mm-hmm. You could figure it out other ways, but it gives you a, a clear sign right at the beginning that, you know, the show knows his perspective is not the only perspective because we're framing it all through his friend's perspective, and it's and, it, you know, to address gender politics, we have, you know, the female perspective and the male perspective both kind of presented simultaneously through, through it. And that really helps the humor, but I think it also really helps uh, alleviate any potential bad feelings you would have towards Toby about his bad choices, because instead you're watching it with a kind of knowing self-awareness.
1: Yeah, I think that's really well said. I do think that there are moments that I had bad feelings about Toby still. Um, I think that Jesse Eisenberg is an actor who can make unlikable characters really human in a way that doesn't um, make them impossible to watch still. But, uh, you know, I mean, Toby does behave pretty poorly.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's not a great uh he's not great under pressure. He's very good under pressure in, like, a hospital setting where there's all this structure. But when he has to deal with unstructured pressure from his family, from his social situation, he he clearly starts to fall apart pretty quickly. And when, uh, you know, Claire Danes' character, Rachel, doesn't show up to pick the the kids up at the end of the weekend, she's supposed to take them to, like, a a dinner and a show uh, on Broadway and then take them for the week, and he's supposed to go back to his job where... You know, he doesn't have childcare lined up during the week anymore because he doesn't have them during the week, you know. So he hasn't planned for any of this. And when it all starts to go off the rails, he doesn't react very quickly. He kind of assumes Rachel's going to show up. And, you, you, you know, they build to his uh, realization that something is definitely wrong. Uh, but you can tell he's not processing it well. He's not really handling it well. His reaction time is not sharp as, as builds to a climax at the end of episode two, when one of his uh, dating app conquests, who I, I just want to point out with a lot of those scenes, a lot of the women are, you know, middle-aged as well, or, or perhaps even older than he is, which is another angle you don't see a lot on TV. And so he has this uh, woman he went on a date with the other night, and she's going to show up and uh, show him her new sexy lingerie. And how does she do that? She rings the doorbell. Her kids, uh, his kids, think it's going to be Rachel, their mom, finally picking them up, So they just swing the door open, and she's kind of flashing them under a trench coat because Toby forgot that she was going to come over at six. A really simple thing he could have caught and fixed, and he really made things very bad, both in that moment when it happened, but also in the moments leading up where he was really freaking out about Rachel not being there and not really handling it well in front of his kids. So then when this really climactic thing happens, his son starts crying, his daughter's screaming, everybody's upset.
1: Yeah. And the woman herself is upset. Oh, yeah. I think she says to him, like, I'm not a joke. Like, it's, you know, um, that, that moment was was handled pretty well, I think, um, in terms of the writing. Yeah. I, I, I like the way that they had the fallout of that not be, oh, and isn't that funny? It was actually like, no, people are hurt by this situation on all sides.
0: Yeah, and actually, a little moment there that I really loved in the fallout of it, his his son, Solly, is like nine years old. He's bawling on the couch. And he, he comes over, you know, Jesse Eisenberg comes over and is like, it's okay. And Solly says, I don't know why I'm crying. And I thought mm. that was so real. Like, the moment felt, like, painfully real and... and that's part of what I'm I think loving about this show so far is it has the social commentary and satire and a little bit of whimsy in the narration and kind of the way the camera flows into every episode upside down giving you a sense of how upside down his world feels in a real literal way but all of that adds this like kind of whimsy and then there are these extremely grounded real consequences to the things that are happening and that's a nice that's a real nice balance
1: yeah, lots of tiny human details um in one of the first scenes he's uh on the phone with his wife getting ready for work and he's just discovered that she's dropped them off the kids in the middle of the night um and he's so he's arguing with her on the phone but he's also trying to find some scrubs to wear to work or like a shirt to wear and like he's smelling his clothes and he has to keep throwing them down because they don't smell great. It's like wow, that's just a, a glimpse into his like single life that is you know really unflattering but also that the show doesn't really dwell on it just like passes that as background to the actual plot and i love the way um details like that are peppered in
0: yeah yeah and so you know the major overarching plot is what's happened to Claire Danes to Rachel Uh, But at the same time, there's this side story going on about how, you know, Toby's divorce caused him to reconnect with old friends. And that's where we get Lizzie Kaplan's character, Libby, and their other mutual friend, uh, Seth Cohen, whose actual name in the show is Seth, not Seth Cohen. But they did name Adam Brody's character Seth. And so I cannot stop thinking, yeah, you know, Seth Cohen's there. And he, he kind of feels like what if Seth Cohen entered his 40s and was kind of aimless and okay with it.
1: A little bit, yeah.
0: I don't mind it. I don't mind it. And they are a fun group of friends who are acting as if they're in their 20s again. They've reconnected essentially for the first time since their late 20s. And there's a real fun vibe, but also kind of a scary vibe because in her narration, uh, Libby points out that this in hindsight was dangerous that they were acting youthful and feeling young again and and that was a bit of ominous foreshadowing but it also felt really real like when you reconnect with a friend who you haven't seen in years you're, you're transported back to how you felt around them sometimes and you can see this in the scenes they have where they like meet up in the park or they go to the diner together it has a real ease but also it stands in real sharp contrast to the rest of his life
1: Well, and also to the rest of Libby's life, because we find out that she, since this all happened, she was at one time writing for a men's magazine. She's left the magazine. She um, is living in New Jersey and is basically a housewife, I think, right now. Um, So it seems that, you know, whatever momentum had happened in her career has shifted. And now she's uh, focusing on a marriage that we have only seen little glimpses of with uh, Josh Radner and it doesn't i imagine there'll be some uh reexamining of her own relationship as well.
0: Yeah, and so i you know my guess on that is they're they're leaning towards perhaps something between her and Seth. Obviously there's there's Toby as well as the main character and they have some history together, but it, I, I i from what they were hinting at in the kind of coming later this season, i, I have a feeling it's going to be about her Her and Seth. I don't know. That's my guess. Do you have any predictions for where the show's going this season?
1: Maybe. I think that we will see a lot of flashbacks of Toby and Rachel's relationship when it was happier Um, or or when it was unhappy. Right. Like uh, their divorce, I think we'll see more of like I think there'll be a fair amount of flashback continually used on the show Uh,
0: you know i do want to say the flashbacks when you say that if i was listening to this podcast i might think i hate a show full of flashbacks it's just such a crutch or something but these flashbacks advance the story really well and they often serve as kind of cutaway gags and and sometimes kind Mm -hmm. of devastating cutaway gags like the gag is they were a bad married couple at the end. That the, the gag is they were miserable together. But the way yeah. that they punctuate scenes uh, actually advances the story and gives you a real sense of momentum. They don't drag things down the way flashbacks can sometimes. So yeah, I, I agree. I think we're in for a lot more of them, but I'm excited to see them. Also because it gives mm-hmm. us more Claire Danes, who otherwise we don't get.
1: Right. Right. Though perhaps she was at the park. Um, right. So actually that what... was...
0: I want to know, do you think... What do you think is happening with her? Because at the end of episode two, uh, when when Toby is once again dealing with some of the Upper East Side moms, they mentioned that they just saw Rachel in the park sleeping.
1: Yeah, I really don't know what's happening with her. I think that she may be having some sort of mental break or is just like freeing herself of this situation, which had become untenable. Um, I don't think she's at the yoga retreat
0: Uh, No, I don't think she's at the yoga retreat anymore either. I do think the next question looming for me is at what point should Toby be calling the police? He's nearing that point, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. but he has not yet. And I suspect he will not that quickly because there's also the social issue of what if you say my wife uh, went missing, especially in this community on the Upper East Side where she is the anchor of their Upper East Side life
1: yes and there is that moment that he's talking about oh she does this sometimes and he tells his friends like another time that she had done this but in that story she had been roofied and she was ended up being okay you know she got home safely but the fact that he was like oh this is typical her behavior and it's a story in which she was in serious danger is uh telling about the way that he uh empathizes with his wife or that he fails to empathize with his wife, I should say.
0: And uh, I think we'll see more of that failure to empathize as the season continues on uh, Hulu. Again, it's on FX and Hulu. Uh, we've got how many episodes coming? A total of eight episodes running through December 29th. So a nice holiday binge, if you want to catch up with it later. Uh, that is Fleischman is in trouble. I'm going to keep watching. I think Diane is too. And if you're watching, tell us what you think. Write to us, podcast at streamageddon.com. You can join Buterson in the mailbag and I will rustle around and pull your letter out. Just like that. But until then, enjoy your holiday. Find the Bob you love the most and hold them tight because you never know when that Bob will be Bob no more. Until then.
1: Happy holidays.
0: Ho, ho, Bob. So here's a little rustling as we rustle through the mailbag.